There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, January 16th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show... This Martin Luther King Jr. Day, we reflect on the legacy and contributions of the civil rights icon, and we examine the figure with whom King shares a day of remembrance, the Confederate General Robert E. Lee. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, a federally recognized holiday to honor the life of the civil rights movement icon around his birthday, which is January 15th. But the recognition of King and the celebration of his life and legacy began last week at Jackson State University with the annual MLK Convocation. Robert Luckett is the director of the Margaret Walker Center and a professor of history at Jackson State. He tells our Lacey Alexander the civil rights movement and King's legacy are ingrained in Mississippi's history. Margaret Walker, who founded our center in 1968, started a Martin Luther King Day birthday remembrance in January of 1969, just nine months after his assassination. And for the last 54 years, we've continued that tradition. It's one of the oldest, if not the oldest, remembrances of Dr. King's birthday anywhere in the nation. And so the historic significance of this weekend, to be able to host the MLK convocation this morning with Charlie Cobb, the great civil rights activist who was central to Freedom Summer in 1964, and to be this morning in the space at the Masonic Temple where so many iconic moments of the civil rights movement happened really has such deep historical significance. Educate us on why the Lodge is such a special, powerful place to you. Well, the Masonic Temple and M.W. Stringer Grand Lodge opens really in kind of the, the, the beginning of the, the throes of the modern civil rights movement in 1956. And it's going to be dedicated by Thurgood Marshall, the great NAACP attorney and future Supreme Court justice. And many of the major mass meetings would take place during the civil rights movement in the Masonic Temple. The Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party is going to be organized out of there. Medgar Evers' office was there. His funeral takes place there. The funeral of James Earl Green, who will be murdered on our campus in 1970, is going to take place there. The civil rights hearings that happened in 1970, the congressional hearings will take place there. Performers, scholars, artists. And so when you're in a space of such historic significance, 
celebrating an icon like Dr. King and the continuing ongoing legacy. You can't help, if you know that history, to be moved by it. We are at Jackson State, an educational space. Why is it important for the people of Mississippi, our specific state, to stay educated and stay aware of what Dr. King did? Well, we must understand this is our history. And there is no state in the nation that has a more important role in guaranteeing the democracy of this nation and access to the democracy of this nation for its citizens than the history of the state of Mississippi. And as a historian, I believe it's essential that we understand and know that past so that it informs our present. Leslie Burl McLemore, Professor Emeritus at JSU, is a part of that history. McLemore was a founding member of the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party and a civil rights veteran. He tells our Michael Guidry to remember the legacy of King is to recognize the full scope of the movement. Obviously, Dr. Martin Luther King didn't accomplish all of these things uh, by himself. He worked with several outstanding men and women uh, that worked in these local communities uh, throughout the American South and even and even the North. Uh, but the King legacy is important because he was an advocate of nonviolence. We know that he was influenced by Gandhi. Uh, we know that Reverend uh, Jim Lawson uh, was uh, Dr. King's mentor, and Reverend Lawson was an, a strong advocate of nonviolence. And as a member of the civil rights movement in the 60s, we practiced nonviolence. And that was one of the ways that we were able to achieve and reach some of the goals that we were able to reach. Because we couldn't fight in the civil rights, but we couldn't use violence because we were outnumbered. We were outgunned. And as a strategy, nonviolence was a way of us to convince the segregationists to convince the powers that be that black people and people of color have a right to participate uh, in this American process. So it is clearly an ongoing one because the issue in the 1960s, the fundamental issue was the right to vote. We are still confronted today uh, with the right to vote because uh, voter suppression is very real. So we can learn a lot from uh, the methods that Dr. King used and, and the people that supported Dr. King. In Mississippi, obviously, Mecca Evers was a leader of the movement, and uh, Fannie Lou Hamer was the leader of the movement. So many outstanding individuals were leaders in our state, and they worked along with Dr. King and others to bring about uh, the measure of change that we have experienced in this country. And, of course, in Mississippi, uh, we have noticed substantial change, but we have really a long, long, long way to go. Prior to uh, his assassination in, in 1968, one of the unfinished campaigns of Dr. King uh, was the Poor People's Campaign that was, was set to begin in the Mississippi Delta. How should that legacy of Dr. King be remembered? Because like, we often associate Dr. King, rightfully so, with with voting rights, with, with, with civil rights and equal rights. But I think under under that, and inclu inclusive of it, but under that, was how much he was a champion for the working man, the working poor, and how much of uh, of that part of his legacy needs to be remembered when we when we remember and honor Dr. King. Oh, I, I think you really cannot honor the legacy of Dr. King in any kind of half-hearted way. I, I mean, 
it's it's the holistic perspective on the life and work of Dr. King. And the Poor People's Campaign uh, was an integral part of that. Uh, uh, the right to vote, uh, but the right to be able to live a decent uh, uh, life, to have uh, economic security. All of these things were important. And Dr. King really uh, advocated economic development across the board. I mean, a, a, a living wage, all of these things that we talk about now, Dr. King uh, advocated that because he really wanted uh, poor people to have an equal share in the American dream. Just think, uh, he was killed in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, helping garbage workers. He, he, was, he was helping poor people. He was helping people who were laboring for little or nothing. In Memphis, Tennessee, he was assassinated because he was there. So that gives you some idea of that. When you look at Dr. King's life, you have to look at, uh, at his total life. I mean, he started out in Montgomery uh, protesting because black folk had to ride on the back of the bus in Montgomery, Alabama. So that's the totality of King's life. I mean, he really talked about the development and representing marginalized people in this country. So the the Poor People's Campaign was uh, was integral to the life and the work of Dr. King and those individuals that worked so closely with Dr. King. There's a phrase that is probably the most, com- most commonly uh, evoked phrase in reference to Dr. King, and that is um, being judged by the content of your character, not the color of your skin. We we hear that a lot. It came up a lot during the last 18 months and and this this fever pitch over critical race theory, what it is, what it isn't. When you hear people evoking those words and those phrases, and and sometimes in opposition, a desire to deeply understand uh, systemic racism, how how do you process that? How how, I mean, how do you respond to that uh, as someone who who was part of the civil rights movement? Well, you know, uh, it has been very uh, popular for the conservatives to use uh, that expression uh, that Dr. King uh, made. Uh, they use that as an excuse, quite frankly, not to deal with the issues that we're confronted with. They use that as an excuse, really, not to deal with the racism. Uh, they use that as an excuse to uh, try to uh, smooth over uh, the history of, uh, of discrimination, uh, the history of denial that black people have experienced in this country. So uh, Dr. King uh, clearly uh, was intended to talk about the importance of character, the the importance of individuals living and working uh, together. But it was it was about uh, character based upon one's moral character, one's one's willingness to work and live, uh, you know, with others. Uh, But it was not it was not designed as the conservatives have tried to use it uh, to make an excuse uh, for the history of denial that has been an integral part of, of, of keeping and preventing African-Americans and other people of color from experiencing uh, the fullness of America. So, yes, uh, it is uh, just a way to try to get around the issue of dealing with the issues that we're confronted with today and the issues that we were confronted with, you know, back in the 50s and 60s uh, during Dr. King's era. 
Leslie Burl McLemore is Professor Emeritus at Jackson State University and a Mississippi civil rights veteran. Coming up, we examine the figure with whom King shares a day of remembrance, the Confederate General Robert E. Lee. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. And I'm Michael Guidry, Managing Editor of MPB News, and I produce the show. We spent the first segment of Mississippi Edition acknowledging the legacy and lasting contributions of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. But in Mississippi, King is not the only icon for which this day is observed. Since 1910, Lee Day, named for Confederate General Robert E. Lee, has been a state-recognized holiday. It was originally observed on January 19th, Lee's birthday. In 1987, four years after MLK Day was established by the Reagan administration, Mississippi ratified the federal holiday and combined the two days. So on this day, when Mississippi officially recognizes this dichotomy, we've chosen to further examine who Robert E. Lee was, how he became an icon, and how his continued celebration affects efforts to reconcile past wrongs. We'll start not at the beginning, but instead on a September night in 1962. It's football season, and the Old Miss Rebels are hosting the Kentucky Wildcats in Jackson. At halftime, Governor Ross Barnett walks to midfield and addresses the crowd. I love Mississippi! I love her people! I'm a custom. The civil rights movement is in full swing, and Barnett is voicing his opposition to integration. The next day, James Meredith will officially enroll at the University of Mississippi, and violence will erupt as segregationists protest. But Barnett's words about customs and heritage are not the only echoes of the Old South from that night. There's also the spectacle. In the stands, thousands of fans with the Confederate battle flag of Virginia. It has always meant racial superiority. It's always meant white supremacy. Remember, that's what Robert E. Lee was fighting for, was for the social system of slavery. My name is Ty Sigley, and I'm a professor of history at Hamilton College and professor emeritus at West Point. In the post-World War II era, um, Southern segregationists bring out the Confederate flag and that flag of Robert E. Lee's flag because it was the only successful one that, that had any success at all in the Confederacy between 1862 and 1863, Lee wins several battles. But it's the only one that has any success. So they take that one um, and use that to show that segregation should continue. The connection segregationists made to General Lee began shortly after Reconstruction ended. The drafters of the Mississippi Constitution of 1890 severely restricted the rights of black Mississippians. Then the iconography began, the 1894 flag with the Confederate emblem, and in 1910, the adoption of Lee Day as a state holiday. That was the same year that they created the Confederate monument 
in Hattiesburg. In 1908, they named um, uh, Forrest County after Nathan Bedford Forrest, even though no one in Hattiesburg fought for the Civil War because there was no Hattiesburg. So it is completely about white supremacy that you would have a day named after Lee in 1910, because remember, no black Mississippian could vote in 1910. Sidgley calls this reverence of Robert E. Lee in the Confederacy a sort of mythology. And in the decades following the Civil War, as a generation of Southern soldiers began to age and die, Lee became the center of the mythology. Every religion needs its, its God. And in a way, this lost cause myth, this, this uh, white Southern religion, makes Lee its God and its deity. It's a religion Sidgley grew up in. As a child raised in Virginia, Robert E. Lee became the model of a Southern gentleman. On a scale of one to 10, Lee would have been an 11. And even though I was a good Episcopalian, I would have put you know, Jesus at like six. And the reason is, is that he was the, the epitome of what a Virginia gentleman should be. Sidgley would go on to enroll at Washington and Lee University. Then he served in the Army, where he noticed more things named after the Confederate general. Everything about my community named things after him, named, that, named them after the Confederates, named them uh, for the person who was considered to be the greatest, not just the greatest general, but the greatest human uh, among white Southerners, and, and it's just not true. Our educational processes have very much, they've really been propaganda in many ways and not educational, uh, truthful. Susan Glisson, and I'm the president of the Glisson Group and the executive director of the Welcome Table Collaborative, which is a healing and equity nonprofit. That iconic status that he has has been repeated and promoted that was intentional for white leaders who wanted to ensure the power of white, white folks after the Civil War, especially after Reconstruction, who wanted to maintain a white supremacist South. It was important to them that they, that they create this, this unblemished hero. He was a cruel enslaver. His father-in-law kept enslaved families together. Lee broke all but one family apart at Arlington. He had men and women who escaped to freedom, who thought they were free. He had them whipped, and he personally poured brine water on them. When he was a general, his army was consistent, his logistics consisted of enslaved people. He was responsible for the deaths of more U.S. Army soldiers than any other general. He was a traitor. He violated Article 3, Section 3 of the Constitution, which says treason is levying war against the United States. He killed black POWs, his army did. And even after the war, he advocated a form of ethnic cleansing to say that all black people should be kicked out of the state of Virginia. This is not someone who I think of as that Americans should emulate to this day. The mythological version of Lee and the historical record of Lee are often at odds. And for a generation of civil rights leaders, the dual recognition of King and Lee together in Mississippi is incongruent. Every day uh, we have this living contradiction in Mississippi because we have people who want to hold on to uh, the enslavement of African-Americans over time. So there's this whole idea of white supremacy is still alive and well in Mississippi and the rest of the country. My name is Leslie Burrow McLemore. And I am Professor Emeritus of Political Science at 
Jackson State University. I was a founding member of the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party back in 1964. It goes back to the feeling of denial. It goes back to uh, dealing with the contradictions that I deal with every day as, uh, as an African-American in Mississippi. It deals with uh, the love-hate relationship that I have for Mississippi. Uh, it deals with the reason why I remained in Mississippi most of my life. In 2020, the Mississippi legislature voted to retire the 1894 flag with the Confederate emblem, the banner flown by Lee's army. It was a moment embraced across political and racial divides as a step towards a deeper reconciliation. But the joint Lee-King holiday, along with Confederate Memorial Day in April and the recognition of Jefferson Davis's birthday in May, remained fixtures in Mississippi. I asked Mr. McLemore, how he interprets the perpetuation of these annual acknowledgments. There's not a day that goes by when we are not fighting the Civil War in our state. So uh, the Lee-King compromise was a way uh, for the white politicians to say to the white community, those in Mississippi who did believe and still don't believe in the work and the legacy of Dr. King, Let's celebrate our hero, Robert E. Lee, and let's give black people Martin Luther King Jr. But clearly it represents the contradictions that we are living with, that we are fighting every day. Anytime uh, we are lifting individuals up, uh, we are lift, lifting up those people for both the beauty and also their warts to show. Vaughn Gordon, Executive Director of the Alluvial Collective. Those holidays are uh, highlighting, elevating for our children, for our, for our businesses. It's saying everything we would normally do uh, in the course of business on this day uh, is worth uh, pausing in recognition of this individual and their contribution. You should honor people that do represent those values. And Martin Luther King Jr. does represent those values. Robert E. Lee has no connection to Mississippi and is in the antithesis of the values that we want today. It's a treacherous comparison. And for Dr. King to have to share the day uh, with Robert E. Lee, uh, I, I do think that it is unfortunate, while also honoring the, the desire people have to kind of remember their own family traumas. Uh, and to the extent that Robert E. Lee is representative of that, uh, I, I can respect it, uh, but I, I don't think that it is healthy. We have got to grapple with these histories, and, and while it's not easy, the reward is far greater than anything we're currently getting from the false calories of, a, of, an, of an unnourishing myth of white supremacy. Uh, we, need, we need the substance of being honest. We need the substance of being able to sit with our fellow human beings and, and envision the kind of world that we want to create and create them together. That only comes through truth. We sometimes subscribe to, to myths or we, we hold to them because they give us a sense of security and place. And sometimes they make us feel like we belong, but it is sinking sand, it, it's quicksand. So I think if we together can elevate our conversations about education, and history, 
in such a way that allow us to, to understand better all of the narratives that are, are out there, uh, some of which have been, uh, you know, covered up and hidden, uh, and others that have been kind of distorted. I think we're going to be so much better off. We're going to be much, much prouder of the way our children lead, probably compared to the way we lead. What can we do uh, to alleviate the contradictions? And, and that means that we have to struggle together. We have to help bring about a fundamental change. And the only way we do that is that we have to struggle today, work together to bring about change in our state and change in the rest of this country. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.